There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Is there going to be a reshuffle? Um, we don't know, is the honest answer. Lots of people seem to be uh, speculating there might be. Uh, the big question is whether or not Boris Johnson takes Dominic Raab with him to America this weekend. Or does he take Liz Truss? Who would he rather spend uh, the uh, flight with? Uh, that's the big question. But aside from the reshuffle, it's Wednesday, so we've got the PMQs unpacked. Patrick McGuire joins me to pause the action live from the House of Commons to analyse in real time what's going on between Boris Johnson and Keir Thomas. That's coming up. Uh, but first, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel. Today, it's Crampon, it's Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. So let's talk about the young people uh, and who has more influence on them. Uh, I mean, I I'd sort of uh, because you, you're, you're the point that you make in your column today, uh, Alice, is that um, you think ultimately uh, leaving the decision on whether or not to get the jab up to teenagers is 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 maybe a mistake. They're ill-equipped to decide on what's actually quite a quite a complex question. Well, my point is that Chris Whitty can't even make up his mind on it. So to ask uh, teenagers who do not have a PhD in physics or are not virologists or um, have not had his sort of experience to also make up their minds on the facts, it's just unfair on them. Because if we can't make up our minds, the prime minister can't, the politicians can't, why should they be able to know any better what to do? And, you know, they've got rappers telling them what to do. They've got Instagram posts. They've got you know, the sort of anti-vaxxers. They've got a lot of disinformation coming their way and they don't really have the facts in the same way that Chris Whitty will. So I think that the politicians and the scientists have to really give them a steer. And in every other country in Europe, they've told them what they think they should do. Um, here, we seem to think, God, we don't want to take the responsibility, so let's give it to the 13-year-old instead. Yeah, and we've, we've had this conversation at home with our 12-year-olds uh, about, you know, and we said, well, technically, it's up to you. And, you know, she's like, well, I don't know. What do you think mm. we should do? It's like, well, we're being all like modern and right. Like, oh, well, we don't want to, you know, it's not our business to tell you what to do. Um, uh, you know, and I've been following this in detail for the past 18 months as a journalist. And it's still, you know, it's a very difficult decision to make. Like you said, when even Chris Whitty himself is, is, is a bit non-committal. Well, we're just putting so much responsibility on them. Do you remember that Don't Kill Granny, which I thought was a terrible, terrible slogan, which was basically saying to the young, this is all your problem, it's all your fault, when in fact, it is not their problem. It's probably of anyone. They're the least involved. It impacts them least, the actual virus. Um, but they're taking a lot of them, not only... Um, the, you know, not being able to school, go to school, not being able to see their friends, having to self-isolate, but they're also now having to take 
responsibility and the blame if things go wrong, which seems deeply unfair on a teenager who's probably missed out on quite a lot already and may have missed out on having to do, you know, probably like not doing exams, but didn't like the grading and the stress and the ones that are thinking about going to university, not being able to go to university. Just as seems an added stress to their lives to tell them they've now got to take all responsibility for this. Uh, what do you think, Robert? Is it wrong to put the, the, the onus on uh, young people themselves? Yeah, it's completely wrong. It's an abnegation of parental responsibility. I mean, I'm, I'm quite shocked by it, actually. Uh, I think I wasn't equipped to make any decisions about anything, really, when I was 13 or 14. In fact, well, the ones I did make were probably wrong. Uh, so, no, I mean, it's your job as a parent to, to, to make these calls. I mean, that's kind of what it is to be a parent, I would have, I would have said. Uh, so, no, I'm, I, I'm amazed by it. I think it's a complete cop-out. And on the on the Nicki Minaj uh, question, Robert, I, mean, I was I was Ooh. a bit. I mean, I, I I had a bit of a sense of humour failure yesterday about this. <laughs> in that, I just thought she's an idiot. What she's peddling yeah. is nonsense, and we shouldn't give it any anything any credit. And I seem to have been completely ignored by everyone else who seems to think it's hilarious. Uh, and you know, well, the, the Daily Mail's and a tale of the tape comparing uh, yeah. Nicki Minaj <laughs> to Chris Whitty uh, and so. On. But what is the right approach to? Because she's clearly got a big following, but she's also yeah, in, I mean, spouting to... total nonsense. Chris Whitty was saying, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, forlornly, that the best the best thing was not to give her any publicity. I mean, that obviously is is not happened. Uh, yeah, she's she's spouting nonsense. It, it, it's sort of my cousin's friend. It's, it's the, you know, it's I met a bloke in a pub who used to drink with so and so, who and he says this is you know this is true. It's it's it's, it's nonsense, but. It, it, there's no point in not uh, covering it. You need to just uh, uh, criticise it, just as, 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 as what he did very well yesterday. Yeah, I mean, for those of you who haven't been following this uh, the madness, uh, it was a couple of days ago now, Nicki Minaj had tweeted saying that her cousin knew a friend or a friend knew a cousin who, a cousin, yeah. who, who yeah. was made impotent and got swollen testicles after having Ooh. the... Uh, yeah, and uh, couldn't get married because his girlfriend And couldn't get married him. as a result because the girl, the girl yeah. called the wedding off. Yeah. All as a result yeah. of getting the vaccine. Mm. Yeah. Uh, which well, I'm now sorry been, to hear about... It's now been retweeted 111,000 yeah. times. Yeah. But also you're yeah. more likely to be impotent if you get COVID. I mean, that's what we know, that there aren't any examples of anyone being impotent from having had the vaccine. But if you get COVID, you are more at risk from all those sort of things. So... That's the infuriating thing that Chris Whitty must find is it's it's not just misinformation, but it's it's the opposite way around. It's you know. Yeah, um, I thought I thought Whitty did well because he, I mean the line of least resistance would have been to, you know, to at least been polite. But he, well, I, was, I guess he was just about polite. But uh, just to say that this is nonsense, I thought he did well. He wasn't unlike the decision about uh, giving kids control over the, uh, the whether they have a vaccine or not. He actually he held the line and said, you know, I kind of know more about this than you do, and you're wrong. Yeah, and I suppose that, and then sort of trying to move on from it, and which is maybe may, maybe what we should do now, because I'm slightly aware of it. <laughs> on the broader, on the broader question of the winter plan, as set out uh, yesterday, Alice, um, is this? A, are we actually because you know there's a lot of maybe discussing about the possibility of a of a reshuffle, and there's something saying we doesn't make any difference. What you know, there's no different ministers and different holes doesn't make any difference in the direction of the government. Do you think we are seeing the difference? between Sajid Javid and Matt Hancock in terms of uh, Sajid Javid is much more sort of economic focused, a bit more hawkish on keeping things open uh, and personal responsibility than maybe Matt Hancock was? 
I think what's been sort of deja vu from last year, actually, I feel very much that a lot of my friends and I have that sense, sort of sickening sense of, God, we can't go through this again. And I think Sajid Javid, as much as anything, is just in a, that situation. They've looked at the polls. People really don't want to go into another lockdown. They know that politically it's going to be incredibly hard to go into another lockdown. But at the same time, you have that exact same sense that we had last year of cancel Christmas, not cancel Christmas, children coming back. My son's just been sent from back from school today. Uh, and I just thought, oh, God, it started, you know, two weeks and it started all over again. Yeah. Um, and I think that is really difficult. I don't know how they're going to manage it because I think people are just much more exhausted now by the whole thing. Um, and I think Saji Javid is more bullish. But, you know, we've seen them being more bullish before and it doesn't work mm. in the end, does it? I mean, that's what happened with Christmas. We were told that we we're going to keep it going. And then in the end, events always you know, overtake what they want to do. How do you think, Robert? Well, yeah, and it is what happened last year with the lock, not just with Christmas, but with the lockdown, because I think we went into full lockdown again in for November, and the the, the receipt, the, the general feeling now is that we should that should have happened sooner. Uh, I'm just amazed that uh, we're still talking about the NHS being overwhelmed. I mean, that's what everything's being uh, predicated on, whether the NHS can cope or not. And it's just, it seems to me we've had, I mean, I don't think the NHS should be overwhelmed every year by flu anyway. And now after 18 months of COVID, it shouldn't, we shouldn't be in a position where it could be overwhelmed again. You'd think uh, things would be in place for that not to happen. But uh, it seems like it might do, and they're not taking the lockdown off the table. And as Alice says, from a previous experience, if it's not off the table, then it kind of feels like it might happen. God, I mean, although it's just it's just unbearable to kind of contemplate it, but it could happen, couldn't it? But yeah, I suppose you're right. We we have. I mean, it's been a running joke for several years now that the the, the winter crisis, the NHS winter crisis, comes earlier and earlier every year. It normally starts about yeah. August. We start talking about. It. Um, uh, but this question of the NHS being overwhelmed, I know that, that actually one of the impacts has been on other. Um, uh, treatments and patients and, and that sort of thing. But, I mean, we're currently, back in January, we were seeing like 4,000 patients a day admitted to hospital, and we're, we're currently running at about, what, 900? Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's still a lot, but it's not... We're nowhere near what we saw in January. And actually, the NHS came under huge pressure both early la last year and in January this year, but was not overwhelmed. It didn't completely collapse. Um, and actually, the NHS is there to look after us. We're not. It's not. Yeah. We're not in the business of looking after the NHS. It's not a human. No. It's not a. It's not. No. A, you know. I mean, that Jacob Jacob Rees Mogg made that point, and it's one of the few things he's ever said that I agreed with. That it's you know it, we've kind of got it the wrong way around. I suppose the you know the uh, critics would say that it wasn't overwhelmed because we had a, we had a month lockdown in November, and then we had three months lockdown uh, January, February, March, and that's why it wasn't overwhelmed, even though it was getting close to capacity. So that argument is not necessarily helpful in the sense that uh, it could be an argument in favour of lockdown. Uh, yeah, but, but what do you think would happen politically, Alice, if Boris Johnson, you know, we get the call, five o'clock, Boris Johnson in the House of Commons, in uh, Downing Street, and he announces another lockdown? I think he's got a major problem. I think part of it, and we can see from the polls shifting, and the polls shifted partly because he was doing social care and it was the idea of putting up taxes. But there's also the fact that we did like it when we were being vaccinated at a faster rate than anyone else in Europe. And now the vaccine rates really plummeted. There's nothing special about Britain at all. It just looks like it's got higher rates of COVID uh, or struggling or the NHS is struggling. And I think that will come back at him in the polls. I think that people are feeling very much as you go into winter that we 
haven't got on top of this, that we probably didn't do enough during the summer to make sure the NHS was okay when there was a breathing mm. space, that we didn't catch up enough on the backlog, that people still haven't seen their GPs, um, and that actually that there, there wasn't enough impetus put in to make sure that this wasn't going to happen all over again. And, and you can't yep. just say now, oh, I've vaccinated mm. everyone and we're fantastic. And, you know, because that doesn't work anymore. Because, you know, you look at Denmark, you look at Italy, you look at... Yeah, everywhere in Europe almost has got a higher vaccination now than we have. So we're in a worse position. Also, I think the other significant thing is that uh, they're, not, they're, sort of, they're saying that AstraZeneca won't be used in the, in the booster jab program. It's just going to be Pfizer and Moderna, which is, I mean, that is a significant blow to all the, the kind of feel-good factor about us coming up with the vaccine first and getting it out there. And now, they're, and now they're, the confidence is not sufficient for it to be essentially being sidelined. Uh, I think that's that that could be that's obviously not the government's fault, but it, it takes away some of the optimism uh, of six months ago when the vaccination programme was going so well. Robert Cramps and Alice Thompson there. Don't forget you can read them in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, though, it's PMQ's Unpacked. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley. And Patrick Maguire. You saw Lindsay Hall <laughs> yesterday and still haven't asked him to record my right, I will. I will commit on air right now that I'll get him to record you a jingle on uh, Friday. Because we're obviously oh, going to be in Chorley on Friday. Uh, for the uh, the build up to the uh, the G7 parliamentary speakers summit that he's hosting there jingle makes it sound like he's going to do a full George Formby style ditty about me but well talking talking of jingles have you heard our jingles uh, i have i'm very <laughs> impressed as as a as a long time listener um, I was going to say first time called to talk sport. I'd like to clarify, <laughs> i've never rang talk sport not that there's anything wrong with it but it's just not my bag um, <laughs> anyway let's take yeah. a listen let's take a listen Stay ahead of the game with instant insider knowledge and erudite opinion. What a way to do it! Matt Chorley's Westminster transfer deadline day on Times Radio. Get in! Uh, get in indeed. So yes, it's reshuffle speculation day. Um, <laughs> it, we think it's on, Henry. Looks like 
It's on. Uh, thank you very much, Henry. Uh, Patrick, it's on. It's it. It is definitely on. It is definitely That's on. That's what I'm hearing from but sources. After <laughs> after uh, we go off air. That's basically what we're expecting because Boris Johnson's got the small matter of PMQs imminently. It's almost as if it's deliberate. Yeah, he's, he's, he's trying to muck up our plans. Uh, what do we think, uh, while we wait for uh, Keir Starmer to pop up, what do you think he might go on today? God, I mean, it's almost... It's almost a sideshow today, isn't it? But uh, the winter plan, the COVID winter plan yesterday, that's been looming large. Um, inflation figures this morning would very much tie into Labour's um, a line of attack that this government isn't very kind to the wallets of working people. So I wouldn't be surprised if Keir Starmer tied that in. Um, they've got an opposition day debate on universal credit this afternoon that even fewer Conservatives will now pay attention to than we're going to. So um, I but, imagine he'll... Not least if they're, if they're hanging by the phone for a call tonight. Although some of, them might have, some of them might have much more free time That's after true. PMQs, That's so they might be able to pop in. Here we go then, it's PMQs unpacked. I should point out that both Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer are wearing a sort of sheaf of wheat in their buttonholes. I think it's back British farming day. Uh, of all the days to have a reshuffle, so disrespectful. <laughs> OK, here we go then, let's go live to the House of Commons. Question number one from Keir Starmer. Leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in his comments about Emma Raducanu, a tremendous success in the US Opens, uh, on the Battle of Britain and on the G7 Speakers Conference? And Mr Speaker, can I also offer my condolences to the Prime Minister on the loss of his mother? Uh, as I know firsthand, losing a parent is never easy. Mr Speaker, how many extra hours a week would a single parent working full-time on the minimum wage, have to work to get back the £20 a week the Prime Minister plans to take away from them in his universal credit cuts. Mr Speaker, first of all, I think it's uh, I thank the uh, Ronald for what he uh, what he's, uh, his kind words. But uh, on his substantive point about universal credit, Mr Speaker, I, it, is, it, is, it is absurd uh, uh, because uh, the, the, the Labour Party... Uh, the I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll give you one. I'll give you a statistic, Mr. Speaker. Uh, every every single recipient of universal credit would lose their benefits under Labour because they want to abolish universal credit, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, and I think that I think that this House and this party should be uh, this government should be very proud of what we're doing and continue to do to support the low paid. And it was another uh, conservative insti institution, uh, the living wage, Mr. Speaker, uh, that increased uh, the, the incomes of families on the living wage by £4,000 ahead, Mr. Speaker. What they want to do, Mr. Speaker, is keep this country in lockdown, uh, keep this country in, the, in furlough uh, without moving forward at all. Let's pause it uh, there, which is what we do here on Times Radio. So, um, uh, of the many options you went for, uh, Keir Starmer's gone for universal credit. Labour were really hoping today was going to be a big day on the on the universal credit. Yep, they had Jonathan Reynolds, the Shadow Working Pension Secretary, you know, doing it, doing the tour of the studios this morning, laying down the gauntlet to Tory MPs, saying, if you agree, as many of them do, that now is not the time to withdraw that twenty pound uplift, that they should. Um, that they should join with the Labour Party this afternoon and vote with the opposition. Um, I don't think uh, a coherent, no, 
Keir Starmer's attack line was there, that that's going to happen. Uh, we should point out, it's uh, Rishi Sunak, the man who's taking away the £20 a week uh, extra, which obviously he originally introduced, is sitting right behind Boris Johnson on the front bench. Uh, none of the uh, main ministers on the front bench are wearing masks. I think there's a whip on the far end who, who did have a mask on, on the Tory benches. But all of the Labour side uh, have got masks on, so that's... Um, you know, a striking uh, visual uh, difference. Also striking visually, no Dominic Raab. Rumoured casualty, the reshuffle on the front bench. That's a good spot. Well done. That's what you're here for, Patrick. That's why we pay you the big bucks. Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons. Question two from Keir Starmer. Uh, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister didn't answer the question. The Work and Pension Secretary seems to think it's an extra two hours a week. So let me make it even easier for the Prime Minister. That's Therese Coffey he's talking answer, about there. Is the correct answer higher or lower than that. <laughs> Mr Speaker, uh, what, I can I, I, what I can tell the right honourable gentleman is that under this government, for the first time in decades, wages are rising, Mr Speaker. Wages across the board are, are rising and, and they're 4.1% up on where they were before the pandemic. In fact, I'm, I'm very pleased. Uh, of, of course, what they want to do is to continue to, to take money in taxation and put it uh, into benefits. We don't think that's the right way, Mr Speaker. We want to encourage high wages and high skills, Mr Speaker. Uh, and that is the difference between this government and the Labour Party opposite. I think it is a good thing. I think it's a good thing, for instance, that Costa Coffee is now paying 5% more than they were before the pandemic. And never forget, if we listened to Captain Hindsight, Mr Speaker, Costa Coffee would still be closed. <laughs> well, let's pause that there. It's quite the, it's quite the accusation. Uh, <laughs> Can we get Costa Coffee on the phone and see if that is absolutely <laughs> the case? Um, so, um, just to try and unpick, because it can get a bit comical, it's basically why we do this. When Keir Starmer's talking about something that the, the Work and Pension Secretary had or hadn't said. So, earlier this week, Therese Coffee claimed that uh, the £20 a week extra that you get on Universal Credit, if you lose that, it would only mean working two hours extra work every week. Making Which isn't the point true. that uh, most people, or uh, you know, the £10, £10 an hour, so it's two extra hours. The, explain why that's not true, though. Patrick. Because when you're extra, it's it's quite complicated and technical, um, which is ironic given that Ian Duncan Smith's idea of introducing universal credit would, was that it would simplify uh, the benefit system, and clearly his successors don't understand it. But basically there's a taper rate, um, and as such, I think it's 60... You'd only earn 63 pence in the pound for every addition, for those additional hours you're, um, you're working. So you'd have to work... Uh, significantly more I than think, yeah, the think, two I th hours. I think one charity this week said it was something like nine hours. It's because as you earn an extra pound in work, you uh, they take away some of your universal credit. So yes. eventually you reach the point where you're earning all of your money rather than relying on the benefit system. Interestingly, uh, Boris Johnson, I, I don't really detect a, a coherent thread here from Boris Johnson. He's gone from, his first answer was, well, you know, benefits claimants will be worse off under Labour because there'll be no universal credit at all to now, uh, you know, attack, offering the familiar attack on Labour as the party of welfare. Um, but so, it's interesting yeah. that his attack seemed to be all Labour's interested in is putting up taxes, uh, which is obviously the thing that Boris Johnson announced he was doing last week, which is a, you know, it's an interesting line of attack there. <laughs> um, uh, maybe there was a slight air of Boris Johnson of... This makes no difference, this exchange. Nobody's going to see this on the TV later because I'm about to catapult Dominic Raab into the Thames and that is ultimately what people could be speaking about tonight. Definitely. Potentially, allegedly. 
is on, apparently. Uh, right, let's go back. I think this is question number three from Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, it wasn't a difficult question. The answer to the question... It's silly, they say. It's a silly question. How much, how much would somebody working full-time on the minimum wage have to... How many hours they'd have to work to make up for the cut is apparently a silly question. The answer... I'll, I'll give the Prime Minister the answer to the question. It is much, much higher. A single parent could be a constituent working on the minimum wage, already working full-time, would need to work over nine hours a week on top of their full-time job just to get the money back that the Prime Minister had taken away from them. Prime Minister, they are already working full-time. They've got kids. How on earth does the Prime Minister think they're going to find the time to work an extra nine hours, in truth, Mr Speaker, an extra day every week? How, Prime Minister? Mr Speaker, I tell you what we're doing to support people on low incomes, not only with the, uh, with the living wage, but 30 hours of... Uh, a free childcare, uh, freezing petrol duty, uh, Mr. Speaker, extending the, the, uh, the cost of heating allowance for 780,000 people across this country. But even more important than that, Mr. Speaker, for the low paid, what we're doing is seeing their way, encouraging measures to see their wages rise. Uh, we're, investing, we're investing in their skills, Mr. Speaker. We're investing in work coaches, Mr. Speaker. And the there's a dividing line now between this government and the opposition. We want a high-wage, high-skill economy with, with controlled immigration, Mr Speaker. And what they want is low wages, low skills and uncontrolled immigration. That's what they stand for. Uh, let's pause, uh, pause it there. I mean, it's interesting, the, the politics of this. I mean, Labour clearly hoped this would gather... I remember speaking to people in the Labour Party over the summer. They really thought this was going to be the big row when we came back uh, in September. Uh, this was going to sort of build up and build up, and in the end, Rishi Sunak will be forced into a U-turn. And that just doesn't feel like where we are. And the, the reason for that, politically, is... And you had a kernel of that in that answer. The the the, opposite, the dividing line Boris Johnson is trying to draw there between control and uncontrolled, be it spending or migration, in this case, spending. Um, I think I was saying last week on this very programme that Rishi Sunak's... Um, approach to the public finances as a sort of retail politician is he thinks the most important thing for the Conservative Party is to be able to tell the public how they are paying for it. You know, even though any economist will tell you it's not that simple. Um, and their gamble is politically that the public in 2024 or sooner will credit them with a higher degree of economic competence than the Labour Party regardless of the you know the impact on the wallet and it's interesting I, I, you say about you know labor anticipating this will be a big row it's sort of been superseded on the same turf by the national insurance row but that's not to say ministers aren't worried this might come and bite them down the line it's interesting because we did some polling on this uh, you go did some polling on this a, a week or so ago beginning of september to ask what people thought about whether or not the, the, the extra 20 pounds should be made permanent at that point, 38% said that the extra £20 should be permanent. Another 18% said it should come to an end, but not yet. And only 29% supported it coming to an end next month. Uh, although, among when you do the party breakdown, 45% of Tory voters said it should come to the end next month. Only 10% of Labour voters, only 27% of Lib Dems. 
Big Remain leave split as well. 19% of Remainers, 41% of Leavers. Interestingly, uh, uh, a bit of a gender divide as well. 31% of men said it should come to an end next month and only 26% of women. Uh, younger people more, uh, le but far less likely to support it than uh, than older people too. So there is, it does cut across. Uh, but I suppose politically, having not really built up a sort of campaign over the summer, to, to, so it becomes an explosive moment in the party, uh, in a way that actually I remember this happened in twenty. What would it been? Twenty fifteen after the twenty fifteen election with the working tax credits. Yeah, and yes. actually that became a big thing. And some of those newly elected Tory MPs in twenty fifteen actually did cause quite a stir. Heidi Allen. Heidi think, Allen. Yeah, was, yeah, was one of them. And it, that that suddenly became a problem for the Tory party. Um, uh, and George Osborne, and that actually sort of actually played a bit. You know, sort of fed to in some of the debate and then went up to the referendum. Which is why staging a reshuffle when these big political questions would otherwise be being chewed over is, apart from anything else, I don't want to say good politics, but it's <laughs> adroit politics. Yeah, so on the front bench, we can see Rishi Sunak, uh, Priti Patel is there, Jacob Rees-Mogg is there, Alistair Jack, the Scottish Secretary, is there. Uh, Liz Truss is there, uh, but yeah, no sign of Dominic Raab on the front bench. Liz Truss, um, uh, Priti Patel's having a right laugh about something on the He's front bench. Dominic Raab is paddleboarding back to Isha, I'm told. <laughs> uh, right, let's go back to the House of Commons. This is question number four from Keir Starmer. Let's test that right now. We've had three questions and the Prime Minister hasn't answered one of them. And it's obvious why. The truth is that these low-paid workers can't work longer hours to get back the money the Prime Minister is cutting from them. He knows it. They know it. Millions of working families will be hit hard, very hard, by the Prime Minister's universal credit cut. And the reason, Prime Minister, the reason, Prime Minister, is this. Why would they have to work an extra nine hours, nine hours, a full day every week, to get that £20 back? It's because of his broken tax system. He's just said how good it is. So let's test it. After his national insurance rise, for every extra pound, for every extra pound that these workers earn, his government will take more than 75 pence from them. That's why they have to earn, that's why they have to work for nine hours one day. Why is the Prime Minister? He's just said how he's going to raise wages, what he's going to do. That's the situation. Why is the Prime Minister making a bad situation worse for working people by hammering them with a cut to universal credit and a tax rise? Let's just pause it there so I can bring you what can only be described as breaking news. Uh, a Downing Street source gets in touch to say the PM will today conduct a reshuffle to put in place a strong and united team to build back better from the pandemic. Yesterday, the PM set out his plan for managing COVID during the autumn and winter, but the government must also redouble our efforts to deliver on the people's priorities. The PM will be appointing ministers this afternoon with a focus on uniting and levelling up the whole country. Uh, so that just in uh, from a Downing Street source, confirming that Boris Johnson will carry out a reshuffle uh, this afternoon. Uh, so uh, as uh, Henry Zeffman told us earlier... Looks like... It's on. It is indeed. Can we? Let's. Let, this isn't a good excuse to play one of our silly stigs. The reshuffle's on, everybody. Get your fix of the transfer mix. Oh, what a finish! With instant reaction from the biggest names in the game. Matt Chorley's Westminster transfer deadline day on Times Radio. Yes, the reshuffle starts this afternoon. Witless speculation between now and then, uh, Patrick McGuire. Well, I was going to say, the funny thing about this shadow cab uh, this cabinet, God, shadow cabinet, maybe in five years' time, um, this cabinet is... Every transfer deadline day aficionado uh, in the footballing world remember that iconic scene um, every year where Harry Redknapp would hang out the window <laughs> of his uh, Range Rover 
But actually, Mark Spencer, the chief whip, has been known to do that with his agricultural van. So I hope we get to see that before the day's out. <laughs> witless speculation? Hmm. Uh, well, there's none, none comes more witless than the rumour uh, currently setting my Twitter timeline and Westminster alight that Gavin Williamson, of all people is going to be made Northern Ireland Secretary. Now, he uh, was very close to the DUP when he was um, negotiating and overseeing their confidence supply deal with Theresa May. But, um, you know, I, I, I va- I'm vaguely aware that there might be a bit of stuff going on in Northern Ireland at the moment that maybe a minister of Gavin Williamson's, uh, you know, debated and debatable competence might not be best equipped to deal with, but who am, I, who am I to say? Well, we'll keep the witless speculation coming. I feel like we should finish off PMQs, despite it being essentially um, uh, academic slightly. But anyway, let's go back to Boris Johnson in the House of Commons. Mr Speaker, actually what we've done uh, with, our, with our local housing allowance is increase uh, by £600 the amount of money to be available to exactly uh, the type of person that he mentions. But he, he attacks... He attacks the... He attacks the... He attacks the he attacks the plan, Mr. Speaker. He attacks our plan uh, to fix the backlogs in the NHS that we announced last week. And I have to say, I thought it was utterly incredible that the party of Nye Bevan uh, should have come to this house last Wednesday and voted against measures that would fix the NHS, Mr. Party. Mr. Speaker, it's quite clear that this is now the party of the NHS. They simply do not have a plan, Mr. Speaker. They don't have a plan for universal credit. They want to abolish it, and they don't have a plan to fix the NHS or social care, Mr. Speaker. Let's hear from Keir Starmer again. Mr. Speaker, an unfair tax rise which won't fix social care and won't clear the NHS backlog is not a plan, Prime Minister. And the Prime Minister pretends, he pretends he's no alternative but to hammer working people with tax rises and universal credit cuts. But that's not true. His approach means that a working single parent who's a qualified nurse would lose £1,143. A supermarket worker could lose £1,093. A teaching assistant could lose £1,081. But at the same time, the Prime Minister wasted billions on crony contracts, cut taxes for people buying second homes, and handed out super tax deduction for the biggest companies. That's not taking... Mr Speaker, that's not taking difficult decisions. That's making political choices. So why is the Prime Minister choosing to take a tax system that's already loaded against working people and making it even more unfair. Mr Speaker, it is absolutely ridiculous that he should uh, attack the government uh, over over salaries for nurses when we put them up by 3%, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, on top of the 12.8% rise that we we introduced, when we're hiring 50,000 more nurses, Mr Speaker, and when we're we're just putting another £36 billion into the NHS and social care on top of the £33 billion that this government invested when we came into office. Mr Speaker, one in ten, one in ten of the people in this country is now on an NHS waiting list. They know, they know, they know that the NHS backlog needs to be fixed. They know that this government has a plan and they know that Labour has got absolutely nothing to say. 
Well, just uh, let's just pause it there. Slight rerun of last week's um, uh, debate, uh, Patrick, over over what to do about social care. Yes, Boris Johnson uh, reprising his favourite line, which is Labour don't have a plan. Of course, Labour, Kistoman did sketch out the broad contours of a plan uh, as to how to pay for social care earlier this week on a visit to a cafe in Lewisham. He said he wanted to uh, raise capital gains tax, but obviously if you're Boris Johnson um, uh, and you're at the dispatch box, such details are immaterial. Um, and yeah, and he obviously expanded that to say you have no plan for use of universal credit either, trying to cast Labour as that party of empty opposition, fence-sitters, etc., etc. Regular listeners will be able to sing along by now. Um, (laughs) And then you heard from Keir Starmer in response, in his little peroration there, the by now also quite familiar attack line that he's trying to make stick before the next election, which is the Conservative Party are a party that are themselves profligate with public money, only in a way that betrays their, um, you know, the fact that they're not in touch with their their new electorate and they're all about greasing the palms of their wealthy cronies with contracts and other goodies. Yes, and I suppose that's the that's the the, the I mean that's a debate we've basically been having for at least the past twelve months. Is that that contrast that they're trying to draw? As uh, if you've just tuned in, the big news we could bring you is that there is going to be a reshuffle this afternoon. Boris Johnson, uh, a number ten source. Confirm it is hilarious. It's on the ticker on the BBC. Number 10 source confirms to the BBC. Yeah, we've all had that text message. We've all had that text. Uh, confirming that a reshuffle will take place later today to level up Britain. Uh, we've just had this in from Henry Zeffman, chief political co- correspondent. No, we haven't. We'll get the latest from Henry when we can. Uh, let's go back. We'll do some witness speculations as to what might happen in the cabinet reshuffle at the moment. Let's go back for the final exchange from PMQs. I just wonder what the millions of people facing a £1,000 cut on low wages will think of that. This country's success is built by working people, but the tax system is loaded against them. The Prime Minister may not understand the pressures facing families across the country, but we do. And the reality is this. Taxes on working people, up. National insurance, up. Council tax, up. Energy bills, food prices, burdens on families, up, up, up. The Prime Minister, Mr Speaker, needs to get real and understand the terrible impact of his decisions on working people across this country. Mr Speaker, this afternoon he has the chance to change course, to vote with Labour to cancel a cut to universal credit and then to stop clobbering working people with unfair tax rises. Will he do so? Yeah. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, let me, let me tell... Uh, I, I think you see the panto season has, has, has come early. Uh, so, quite, so, quite something from Boris Johnson. since you're a man of, of great restraint and, and taste uh, and judgment, uh, which country has the fastest growth in the G7? Uh, where, is un- where is employment up, Mr Speaker? Uh, where are job vacancies at the highest level? Uh, up, Mr Speaker. Uh, as for wages, Mr Speaker, they are up. Uh, to higher 
than they were before the pandemic. I, I think that could probably do with a bit of work, that call and uh, response. very carefully over the, last, uh, over the last fortnight. I'm told that he has a 14,000-word essay in gestation, uh, Mr Speaker. I don't, I don't know why he can't produce it uh, right away. I mean, why does the world have to wait for the, the thoughts of, uh, of Chairman, of Chairman Keir? Uh, uh, having, having listened, having listened uh, to, to what he's had to say, uh, his non-existent plan for, for benefits, for universal credit, his non-existent plan uh, for health and social care, I can compress those 14,000 words to four, Mr Speaker. Vote Labour, wait longer. Well, there we are. That uh, brings an end to uh, to PMQ. Some knockabout there, if nothing else, Patrick. I didn't think Keir Starmer had that sort of uh, frivolity in him, but there's a first time for everything. He's a bit livelier. On the subject of the 14,000-word uh, essay, I bumped into quite a senior Labour insider yesterday uh, who was aware of the existence of, of the thing but hadn't got round to reading it yet. And, and, and likewise, uh, I saw a shadow cabinet minister who hadn't, was none the wiser yeah. either. Um, but the sort of person who uh, who you might have thought might have read it by now, if not if not written some of it. Yes, exactly right. Anyway, um, uh, enough of that. Let's not dwell too long on PMQs because we've got more of this. Stay ahead of the game with instant insider knowledge and erudite opinion. What a way to do it! Matt Chorley's Westminster transfer deadline day on Times Radio. Get in! Yes, uh, Downing Street confirming, or the number 10 source has confirmed to Times Radio, we may as well say, because everyone else is claiming it. Times Radio sources. Times Radio sources. Uh, that's a good, good, we could maybe get some merchandise out of that. There's a range of sources. Anyway, Times Radio sources in number 10 confirming to the bus that the reshuffle is underway. Let's go to Henry Zeffman, Chief Political Correspondent. It's on. Thank you for that, Henry. Not very much more excited than the last one, but anyway, I'm not sure it was worth the wait. Now, um, uh, Patrick, as we were watching PMQs, I was trying to make a note of who was and wasn't on the front bench. Um, so I've got uh, Mark Spencer, Chief Whip. He's there. Uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, Leader of the House of Commons, he's there. Uh, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, Home Secretary Priti Patel, Alistair Jack, the Scottish Secretary, Liz Truss, the International Trade Secretary, Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden, Amanda Milling, the Chairwoman of the Tory party, uh, Suella Fernandez, who's the Attorney General. Yes. And I think I spotted Robert Jenrick as well, uh, who's the Housing Secretary. Do we think that means all of them are safe? Um Amanda Milling has been repeatedly tipped for the sack, although she did oversee the open inverted commas, triumphant close inverted commas, uh, Hartlepool by-election, so perhaps she's safe. But otherwise, yes, I would say all of those people have been tipped to either remain in their jobs or to move within the cabinet. The notable absences, of course, uh, Dominic Raab, um, who um, has been living on borrowed time since, his, um, since they closed the sea, and uh, Gavin Williamson, if, if the rumours are to be believed, he too might be on his way to another job within government. So perhaps not, um, you know, perhaps not best to read too much into those absences. But let's do it anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if anything, if, if uh, I mean, Priti Patel seems like the most at risk of those who've turned up potentially. Yes, uh, certainly, um, and it's an interesting gamble. If you are a cabinet minister, do you save face and go in? Or do you cut your losses in a dignified fashion? Um, that, that, maybe there's a bit of that. One last hurrah versus looking like a wally. Yeah. And, and you know, Pretty Patel has never been famed for her, um, you know, 
lack of obliviousness, has she? So, <laughs> well, the she's Times, always got a finger on the pulse. Our colleague Stephen Swim from Political Edge of the Times uh, reporting that both Jacob Rees-Mogg, the leader of the House of Commons, and Mark Spence, the chief whip, have been told uh, that their jobs are safe. Uh, apparently, both men who had been tipped to lose their jobs, but have been told they've been given assurances that they are safe. Um, uh, looking through uh, the rest of Steve's report, uh, Dominic Raab expected to be offered a senior, uh, no, an alternative role in the cabinet as either Justice Secretary or Minister for the Cabinet Office. Big question, I suppose, is whether or not he takes that. Uh, Gavin Williamson also tipped to uh, lose his job as Education Secretary, but it's not clear whether he'll be offered another one. Pritchie Patel, Home Secretary, and Robert Butland, the Justice Secretary, are both thought to be at risk, Steve says. Uh, Liz Truss, International Trade Secretary, and Michael Gove, Minister for the Cabinet Office, have been tipped for promotion, uh, both for the Foreign Secretary. Maybe they could do it as a job share. Uh, that'd be terribly modern. Uh, Kimmy Badenoch, the uh, Treasury Minister, has been tipped by colleagues for the role of Education Secretary. But we should take all that with a pinch of salt, because quite a lot of the tipping tends to be done by the individuals themselves. The interesting question that th- uh, those paragraphs from Steve Swinford raised for me is the... Um, is the is the Dominic Raab question, which is if you're Dominic Raab, are your interests best served by heroically refusing to accept a demotion as Jeremy Hunt did when Boris Johnson offered him Defence Secretary in 2019, or do you think I'll bide my time, I'll keep my head down in a perhaps less glamorous role, particularly the, the Justice uh, Dominic Raab is an ex lawyer, but it's a very tricky brief with court backlogs. Um, you know, and a criminal bar that is always at snapping at the heels of the government. Do you think I'll prove myself in a tricky, less glamorous brief <laughs> as, uh, you know, as Matt Hancock way and, back when did? Exactly, and rise again. Rise uh, and again. rise again. Or do you think actually my interests are best served by being a lightning rod for backbench discontent? And given that, uh, given that Dominic Raab, you know, is very dry on the economy, maybe he will become the tribune of opposition to high tax on the back benches who knows that's all we've got time for on this episode of the red box podcast don't forget you can listen to me live monday to friday 10 till 1 on times radio and we bring you the best bits here on the podcast and if you're feeling particularly nice why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.